Hey, it's Joey Thurman. I'm excited to bring you season two of the Fad or Future podcast. We live in a world where information is everywhere, easy to access, and sometimes not always accurate, especially in the health and wellness space, which is exactly why I created this show. There's two sides to every story, and I'm here to present both and let you decide, is it a fad or is it the future? Health fads come and go, but the science behind them is what makes them work or fail. I'm bringing the experts to you and putting the facts on the table so you can decide how and where to put your efforts in your own personal health and wellness journey. Hey, what's going on? It's Joey Thurman, and here's another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. What is an extreme fat loss diet? Well, in this episode, I have University of Southern Florida physique scientist, yes, physique scientist, that is a thing, Professor Bill Campbell. He put me on a two-week rapid fat loss diet. What were my results? How did I do it? Does he actually recommend it? Was it a good thing? What about diet breaks? The diet after the diet? Reverse dieting? What does the research say? This guy studies physique competitors bodybuilders and people that are very in tune with their body. Here's my conversation with Professor Bill Campbell. What's going on guys? It's Joey Thurman. It's another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. And before me, I have Professor Bill Campbell from University of Southern Florida. And dude, I've been aware of you we've been aware of each other for quite some time on the social media as people say but uh, you are a physique scientist as you like to call yourself uh, explain a little bit uh, about what that is yeah so thank you for the invitation to be on your podcast this is a special treat for me uh, i'm an exercise physiologist mm-hmm. what most exercise physiologists do is they study exercise sometimes to help with people's health sometimes for cancer reasons, to help with blood pressure. I'm an exercise physiologist who really, who really takes this knowledge base and applies it to the vanity side of our profession. Mm-hmm. So particularly the physique enhancement side. So I study exercise and nutrition and dietary supplements and what the best combination of those things are to optimize one's physique. So the the research that I do, I like to say that it helps people optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, an interesting point because maintainable is huge there. As uh, a lot of people see these covers of magazines or when we actually had magazines, you know, which I don't know if those are around now anymore, but I was on, I was on covers of magazines myself. But that, that's the best that individual looks at that certain time, but they feel the worst. They're over tan and lubed up and everything. And so that, that is not maintainable to get back to the point. So it's really interesting that, that you are trying to look for something that you can actually maintain and not, people aren't going to be walking around at two, 3% body fat. It's, it's just not going to happen. No. And, and you make a good point when people, even people who aren't fitness models, when they get to that level, that's when they're get, uh, booking the photo shoots. That's when they're posting the Instagram pictures. Right. So yeah, I, I take the approach of let's help you through my research. Let's help you get your best physique, the leanest you can be, but still allowing you, still allowing you to take your kids to school, to have a night out to eat. So 
you might not be what we would call peeled or ripped, but you look really good and in a manner that allows you to live your life. That's cool. So you work with a lot of bodybuilders and physique competitors as well. So you're working with people that take things to the absolute extreme. I mean, if, if you told a bodybuilder to probably drink their own urine, it's going to make them look so much better. You know, uh, the reason that's in my head is because I had a guy that's drinking his own urine for my podcast. But if, if it, to tell him that he, he drank, check out the certified health nut. That was a crazy podcast. Uh, if you tell him to drink your own urine and you look half a percent better next to that guy on stage, they'd probably do it. Yes, absolutely. And you, <laughs> you make a good point. I do study bodybuilders mm -hmm. and I really have a good relationship with a lot of the top bodybuilding coaches in the world because they are the ones who have mastered the, the art of getting lean. Mm -hmm. And I, I study that. Now they're a couple years ahead of me. My research is always validating what they're doing now yep. or what they've been doing. So I learn from bodybuilders. And then I also, like I said, I bring in the maintainable aspect to this. So typically a bodybuilder will, They'll resistance train six days per week. They'll have one, sometimes two cardio sessions per day and will be in a caloric deficit for up to 24 weeks, which is half the year. Wow. Normal people aren't going to do all of those things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bodybuilders are not normal. And I don't think any bodybuilder listening to this podcast would be like, hey, no, he's no, they're not normal. I mean, when I was doing competitions, it was more like the fitness modeling. And I'm 6'3", and most bodybuilders aren't that tall. So I wasn't any bodybuilding. I was doing like, you know, the physique, if you will. But for a year and a half, I was competing in three different competitions, and they were natural. Um, let's just say there were some people that were definitely not natural, but they, yeah. weren't, they weren't testing. So what are you going to do, right? Uh, and my wife is like, this is like a, you being a baby. Like you've, you're eating every two hours. You're doing this. You got to make sure you hit the gym. Then 12 weeks out, I'm cutting down and doing all this cardio. And it, if anybody hasn't ever like seen what a bodybuilder goes through and not to say those people aren't athletes, those guys are just, and females are just some of the most dedicated individuals I've ever seen in my entire life. It's they're superhuman. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of respect for 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 bikini competitors, male bodybuilders, figure competitors. Yeah, they're it's like un, unlike a sport athlete, they're fighting hunger right. hour after hour after hour, low energy, still going to the gym. That's what I admire. Yep. What what is not admirable sometimes is the narcissistic approach that it demands. So if you have children and you're trying to live that lifestyle, it's, it's very difficult to, to achieve and to, uh, to, to maintain that, that just that pursuit right. and raise children. It's, yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see that. I mean, obviously, and then also from, you know, raising a kid, I mean, we're, we're both fathers and, and raising a kid, you want them to be you know, better people and just be aware of everybody around you. But then if you see your parent, like so focused on exactly how they look all the time, like that's gotta be an interesting juxtaposition on how you handle that. You know, like if you've got a, you've got a young boy or young girl and they're overweight and they see mommy or daddy like ripped all the time and worried about the way they look. I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, that's for a, a different podcast, but I can see how that's, that's pretty difficult to try to juggle all that. All right. So yeah, you put me on a, let's get into it. So we did a, um, and now with, uh, you know, COVID and everything, it's much harder for me to actually do these things in the you know, future podcast, but you put me on a two week rapid fat loss plan. So can you explain a little bit what my parameters were and we can, uh, we can talk about it. 
Yes. Yep. So I'm going to tell you what your parameters were. And then at some point I need to back up about eight steps to put this within the correct paradigm for why we do this, because Perfect. what I'm going to explain is exactly against what I think is optimal for a maintainable lifestyle. So okay, cool. we will get there. But what you were asked to do was kind of an extreme diet. And it was a diet that cut your calories by 50%. So you reduced the amount of calories that you normally live on by half. And we do this in a way, I, you talk about parameters. My lab likes to do things like this, but we try to protect some things. We wanna protect your muscle mass, and we want to protect your metabolism. So we really want to try to lose as much fat, but maintain as much muscle. And the way, the reason that we put these parameters in is because that's important if you're trying to optimize your physique. Anybody can go on a crash diet and not worry about muscle loss or their metabolism. And we're going to talk about what the, the extreme importance of those things in a few minutes. Yep. So you not only reduce your calories by 50%, you had to get at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight, which I'm assuming is probably what, 200 grams of protein? <laughs> yes, 200, yep. Yeah, which is at least half of your calories or yep. right around there, if not more. Right. And the other thing was you had to resistance train because we want to keep the stimulus on the body. So we, we did this for 14 straight days and the idea is, yes, you'll lose weight, but with the high protein and with the consistent resistance training, our goal is that you do not lose muscle mass and that your metabolism does not become suppressed. Yeah, and for me, so the way I wanted to do this was I didn't want to pump myself full of protein powder to try to hit those numbers. And 200 grams of protein, we had a conversation on the phone, it was like whatever, a week ago or so, that getting 200 grams of protein by way of animal product or if you're vegan or whatever is very difficult. So basically I was having, you know, steak and red meat and um, basically lots of steak and a little bit of chicken uh, just to try to get those numbers, but to stay. So my calories were about 2000, 1900 to 2000 calories a day. I eat close to 4,000 calories a day. And some people listening to that might be like, wow, I wish I could eat 4,000 calories a day. Well, I've been, working out my entire life and played hockey through college. So my metabolic rate is and just activity in general is, is up there. So yeah, I had to drop it down to 1900, 2000 calories and getting those 200 grams of protein by not having pounding shake after shake was pretty difficult. But on average, my numbers, and we'll get into what my results were, uh, I had about less than 100 grams of carbs a day. And that, that's not including fiber. So you know, basically the carbs were Generally, if I got them, it was maybe from quinoa or uh, lots of greens. So, I mean, if you're, if you're doing net carbohydrates, it's probably close to half of that. Uh, other than that, I was having about 50 grams of fat, and the rest was pretty much just the steak and eggs and chicken. And every now and then, if I had to, I didn't hit my numbers, I would do like a 50-gram protein shake. Uh -huh. and, and, and that was it. And I, was, I, I thought I would be hungry all the time. Dude, I was so full. <laughs> I was... I was so full, probably from the satiating effect of protein. Yeah, that's in one of the benefits of a high-protein diet. So we'll talk later. Protein is really a dieter's best friend. It has mm. so many benefits to when you are trying to fight hunger. And it seems like you, you pro the, the other types of food you're eating to get your fats and carbs were also great sources 
to help you feel full. So you yep. did this in a probably a, a very admirable ma manner. Very few supplements, whole foods, a lot of greens. Like that's that's great. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, like you know, I, I try to do everything full force, which sometimes gets me in trouble in life. I've learned that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did that. Uh, and then I had some recording and stuff to do. Um, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on that one. But um, yeah, I mean, I wanted, I wanted to get my greens in. I still wanted to, you know, be able to go to the bathroom and all that sort of stuff. And I was having a little bit of grass-fed butter, a uh, little bit of coconut oil, and that, that's pretty much where all my fats were coming from. But I did feel pretty good for the most part. And I was lifting, you know, I wasn't in the gym, but I was lifting and I've got weights and stuff here uh, doing a lot of that. And I didn't change up my routine as much. And the only cardio that I did was pretty much some sprinting, outdoor sprinting and sprint intervals. So the mo I think the longest run I went on was maybe two miles. And that was about it. Because that was part of your, you know, if I changed up my workout routine tremendously and started doing something different, then what, what, would the stimulus was it the diet was it the new workout routine was it both so i guess you know as far as having a controlled experiment i guess that's kind of yes. what we're going and for. that was the other parameter i also asked you don't change anything about your workouts yeah all right so let's take those eight steps back and talk about it and then we'll get into the results okay so as a physique scientist i am 100 percent against rapid fat loss. <laughs> uh, okay. I think they are the worst thing. They're very prevalent in our culture. Mm -hmm. I call it the infomercialization of diets. Right. Lose 20 pounds now. Lose 30 pounds this month. Lose 10 pounds this week. That mindset, that approach is not maintainable. I can't stand it. So what, what, what I want to do is let me just take this through three different steps. I'm going to talk about the negatives of dieting. Then I'm going to talk about this concept of diet breaks or yep. intermittent dieting. And then we'll tie that beautifully right into what you did. Yeah, I just read that paper, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was great. And I didn't realize you did a lot of work with Brad Schoenfeld. Uh, I just I recorded a podcast with him, too. So look at that. I, I, got, I got the top minds coming on the Fatter Future podcast. All right, cool. Well, he's just on Brad, man. He's at a different level. <laughs> he's, he is, he is he's, the goat of resistance training research. So yeah, anybody, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link his episode on in the show notes, but yeah. 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 So let, let me just start with, and remember, this is my life. I study dieting. I mm -hmm. study exercise. You, the the concept that I would like to portray is you don't you want to spend as little time dieting as possible. So when I say dieting, I mean a caloric deficit where you're consciously reducing your calories. Why do you want to spend as little time there as possible? Because it's associated with and brings along with it a lot of negative consequences. So the first one is Muscle protein synthesis. That's what our muscles go through as they build muscle. One study showed that when you reduce your calories by 20%, your muscle protein synthesis was actually significantly reduced by about 20%. So dieting makes it harder to build muscle. So there's the first thing. The other thing that muscles do is that they constantly are getting broken down. We call that muscle protein breakdown. When you diet, you are increasing the rate of muscle protein breakdown. And the numbers are pretty similar, about 20%. If you reduce your calories by 20%, you increase the rate of muscle protein breakdown by about 20%. Huh. 
So everything about a diet is working against you in terms of being able to maintain and hopefully build muscle. So there's two of the negatives. The next negative is, is what everybody experiences that diets, and that is your metabolic rate gets suppressed. It gets lowered. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, but most people that go on diets experience the fact that they go on a diet for the first two or three weeks, they lose weight somewhat easily. Then after a month or two, it gets harder and harder. And then they get to the point where they literally hit a wall. And despite reducing your calories more, despite doing more exercise, the weight will not come off. What has happened there is a scientific concept that we call metabolic adaptation or adaptive thermogenesis. Your metabolic rate has now slowed down. When that happens, not only is it more difficult for you to lose more weight and more fat, you now have just significantly increased the likelihood that you will gain weight in the coming weeks. Because as soon as you go off the diet, guess what your body is primed to do? Gain fat. So if you're going to invest in a diet, it is my belief that you should do a couple things. Protect metabolic rate at all costs. Also, you want to protect your muscle mass at all costs. And I have three principles for fat loss that do this. Those three principles are, principle number one, the rate of weight loss should be slow. So do not embark on a rapid fat loss diet. You're only sabotaging yourself and you're gonna gain more of that weight back. That's study after study. Principle number two is do not decrease protein when dieting. So you're gonna cut your calories when you diet, but don't cut them from protein. Carbs and fat would be preferred. And I would even say, if you can, increase your protein when dieting. And then the third principle when dieting is to resistance train. The, the, The act of lifting weights puts an anabolic stimulus on your body, and that will help preserve. And some people actually do gain muscle when dieting. It's not common, but it happens. So if you can think of those three things. So that's what you should do. The worst thing you can do is to do what you just did, (laughs) <laughs> where it's extreme dieting for a week and month and month after month. That, that you, again, you're only setting yourself up for future fat gain. And we have another concept called fat overshoot. And what typically happens is when the diet is over, people will gain more total body fat back than what they started the diet with. Really? So if, if you can adhere to my three principles – you help you you help yourself with long-term success. So let me let me have you respond to that and then I'm gonna get into why we did what you did and how I can justify it. Yeah, for sure. So now when looking at those studies, is that a lot of people, I mean, people always talk about like the biggest losers are studies, and right? And they they lost all this weight and then they put it back on. Is this individuals that had a lot of weight to lose that put more on, or is just just Overall, you can put a blanket over it, and this just covers pretty much anybody that goes on a diet, whether it's 10 pounds or 100 pounds afterwards, they're putting on more weight. So I'm glad you asked that question. My research does not directly apply to obese individuals. So if an obese individual, for health reasons or under medical supervision, if they need to lose weight at a faster rate, I don't know if there's as much harm there. Now, my principles apply to everybody. I'm just saying I focus on relatively lean people trying to get leaner or people who are already physically active. So I am not quick to say to an obese individual, 
because they may have fairly outstanding health issues where they may need to lose weight quickly. So sure. I, I'm hesitant to apply my research because my research doesn't research obesity. Right. Now I did as a grad student, I, I did several obese weight loss investigations. Um, and it also really doesn't apply to bodybuilders because even though bodybuilders do these things, a bodybuilder, if they have to get on stage, they might not have the luxury of taking their time. Yep. And I have one more category of people that can kind of just take what I say and throw it out the window. And that's a bride who's going to get married in a month. She might <laughs> care less. I need to get into this dress. And I'm like, I, all right. I've trained a lot of those. Yes. Uh, like what, what, Julie, what's the fastest way to lose weight? Don't eat. No, no, no. Really. What's the fastest way to lose weight? Don't eat. <laughs> like, okay. Anybody listening to that, like go back on the David Sinclair, go back on my fasting episodes and you'll know what I'm talking about. But like, yeah, if you don't, don't put food in your mouth for several days, you're going to lose weight. All right, carry on. Yeah. It works every time. Yes. All right. So we just covered why dieting is bad. I also gave some techniques to help you when dieting. So with this idea that you don't want to be on a diet very long. So if you're dieting for 12 weeks straight or three months straight and never taking a break, all of these negative outcomes are going to surface. What we found or what some research has reported is that if you take planned or prescribed breaks from your diet, let's say every three weeks you're going to take a week off and you're going to increase your calories back to maintenance levels, what that does is it allows you to gain a little bit of muscle that week. It allows your metabolic rate to come back up. Um, it's, it's just a way to, and again, the, the research on this is it never is harmful to take a break. It never hurts you. And in some cases, it actually causes more fat loss because your body's metabolic rate is now raised. So when you go back to the diet, your body is more primed to lose more fat. So we'll call this a diet break approach. Yep. Now, I, I, in a moment here, I'm going to talk about one of the research studies that we published that, that you just read. So when I had you do a rapid fat loss experiment, that is within the concept of this diet break lifestyle. So what, what, what my lab's now trying to do is say, okay, if you're going to try to lose fat, we want you to diet for one, two, three, four weeks, whatever, but we don't want you to diet indefinitely because we want you to come out of it, take a diet break or increase your calories. But when you are dieting, since you're going to be highly motivated because you're only going to be dieting for one or two weeks, how aggressive can we be and still maintain muscle and metabolic rate? That's why what you did fits into this process. Mm -hmm. So you have to go into it knowing this is two weeks and I'm going to kill it. But I know in my head, I'm already planning that I'm not going to stay here. Right. One, let me say one more important thing. When you come out of the diet and you're on what we call a diet break, that is not a food orgy or a free-for-all. That is a still controlled with some, you're not dieting, but you took your calories back to where they were before you dieted. So again, it's not, I don't want to, some people say cheat days. Yeah. It's, it's still controlled. So go ahead and reflect on that. Yeah. So when people go from, let's just use me as an example, 2000, 4,000 calories or 2000 calories. And then you say that I can add more muscle tissue makes a ton of sense. I'm having more carbohydrates. I have more calories, muscle sparing, and we can, you can easily add that muscle tissue. And then that brings your metabolic rate a little bit higher. 
what happens if you were to go back down? So you took a week break and then you dropped your calories back down. How long does that metabolic surge, if you will, last when people go back into dieting? So the research, if I'm quoting the research, we don't know. There's only been a handful of studies, let's say 10 studies. I'll, I'll tell you what we do know based on the research. But I, I, would, I would say this. For somebody trying to optimize their physiques, I, I'll, let me use myself. I, I won't even make this third person. As I look at the rest of my life, I'm going to diet about every one to two months for a week or two. That's just what I, in order for me to maintain and optimize my physique, I'm, I'm not going to go months and months and months without dieting. That's what I need to do to have abs. Uh, and maybe some people don't want to hear that. And maybe some people don't have to do that. I know, because I'm like you, I do experiment after experiment on myself. And because I'd like to relax a little bit on the weekends or take a week or two where I'm not on point, I just know, hey, I'm going to have to diet sometimes, but I'm never going to diet for four weeks in a row. Again, unless I'm doing a bodybuilding show or something like that. Sure. So how, how long does it last when you come out of it? We don't have any long-term data. Um, so I would just impress upon you. It may be that this is your lifestyle. Right. And I think that makes sense because when I'm training people and working with them, I, I like them to have some sort of goal, whether that's wedding, vacation. I mean, now in 2020, vacation and stuff may be interesting, but let's just talk about generalities. I like them to plan these things out to say, oh, schedule a vacation in two weeks or four weeks and then hit it hard for those four weeks. And then during your vacation, if it's a week long, I don't care what you do, you know, for the most part, still eat clean. And if they're working with me, they're still working out and they're doing everything else on vacation. So their, their activity level is staying pretty high for the most part. So, and then they come back and they just got, they got that break, if you will, you know, from life and they de-stressed and they're like, yeah, I worked out four times in seven days. That's great. And then they come back and then we kind of get them back on. I feel like as far as adherence and I've been training people for 15 years now, I feel like that makes the most sense for them. If I've got a movie star or somebody calls me up, then I'm on point with them. But those are the outliers. Those aren't the people that we're talking about here. So I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, and that the research seems to be backing it up with you too. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give another way to look at this. Um, we, we just published a study and it was called, a, it's, we're referring to it as a diet refeed study. So mm -hmm. diet breaks are typically one week or two weeks taking a break from the diet. What we did was we increased calories just two days per week on the weekends. Hmm. And there's, there's research to, to that has reported that most people, again, surprise, surprise, but most people <laughs> tend to increase their calories on the weekend. No. Yes. There's actually data to <laughs> Cool. So, so what we did, we said, okay, under this philosophy of let's try to make this a maintainable lifestyle, let's go on a diet, but work with your natural food in, intake patterns or your habits. So we had two groups of people in this diet uh, refeed study. Both groups dieted for seven weeks straight. One group, seven weeks, no breaks. The other group, they also dieted for seven weeks. But every weekend, we made them increase their calories, all in the form of carbs, back to maintenance levels. 
So that meant, though, they had to diet a little harder Monday through Friday. So they actually reduced their calories by 35% Monday through Friday, and then they were 100% of their calories on the weekend. Okay. So both groups, on average, re were reducing their caloric intake by 25% over seven weeks. At the end of the study, the group that took the breaks on the weekend, they were able to maintain their muscle mass significantly better than the other group, and they were able to maintain their metabolic rate better than the other group. So there we go. We're, we're making a diet fit your natural lifestyle food choice tendencies or food intake tendencies, and it happens to be better on these areas that are clear negatives of weeks and weeks of dieting. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think if you wrote a book and told people that they can eat whatever they want on the weekends and had to diet during the week, you might be a multimillionaire, man. Yeah, but this is why I won't be a multimillionaire <laughs> because they couldn't eat whatever they, well, they could eat whatever they wanted. We still made them keep their protein high, yeah. but they couldn't overeat. We said you have to limit what you were before the diet. So if they were normally eating, let's say in your case, 4,000 calories, mm -hmm. you would be limited to 4,000 calories on the weekend. You yep. couldn't go to 5,000 or 6,000. Right. For me, my maintenance level is 2,800 calories. So let me, let, me just, let me tell people real quick what I do. Mm. So I'm not dieting this week, but over the last two months, I, I was going on this cycle. So 2,800 calories is my calorie level where I know I won't gain weight or lose weight. It's really dialed in for me. So when I diet, I diet on 2,100 calories Monday through Friday. Then on the weekends, I go back up to 2,800 calories, which is a treat. I can now have uh, whatever it is that I want to have. I mean, I'll definitely have, um, let's say, ice cream a lot more on the weekends. Right. And I still lose weight. I still lose fat under this model of this refeed. So yeah, that's where it does get tricky. Um, I agree. If, if I could design a diet where you had no limits, I would love to do that. And I would love to be a millionaire. <laughs> you, you and me both, dude. Cool. Yeah. It, it just makes sense because that's why I, I don't like saying cheat days to people because people go off the walls in a cheat. You could have 10,000 calories in, in a day. I mean, and I've done it before, you know, like just like, let me see how many I could eat and I could have kept going. But people do sometimes, I mean, you go from 2,000 calories a day to on the weekend, you took in fifteen to 20,000 calories. It's actually possible. And I've seen people do it when you're having alcohol, if you're just, you know, especially in the summer or something. Really easy to do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And I, refeeds, a lot of bodybuilders are refeeds too, right? They, they slowly kind of refeed and increase the number of calories that they're having. Yeah, that's, it's very common now. And again, I, I owe my research to what bodybuilders are doing. Again, mm -hmm. they do it for a couple of years and then I'm like, okay, well, if we scaled this back a little bit for normal people who like to work out, what do we find there? So that's what I do. I follow the lead of the bodybuilding industry. Mm -hmm. and, and then I just see what works for what I would say normal folks like me. When I say normal folks, you still have to be committed to working out. My research always involves resistance exercise. Um, I'm kind of embracing a high protein diet because of the physique benefits of that nutrient. Mm -hmm. Now, sorry about high protein. I mean, people, I'm sure you get this question all the time. People are like, high protein, isn't that bad for you? And the mTOR response and everything else and longevity. Have you looked into that at all? Or is it because that people are so active and actually resistance training that they are utilizing that protein uh, and it's not coming in excess? 
So, yeah, so I, I base my, my thoughts on the scientific literature, and we have enough studies, I, I have one in my, from my own lab, where higher protein intakes increase muscle mass in people who are resistance training. We have enough of that data. When we start talking about longevity and increasing cancer rates, that's where I have an opinion, and I'll share it with you. Sure. But I, I am not an expert in that area. I don't, just study, I don't study cancer. I don't study longevity. My, my problem with that is all of the time when people say, oh, high protein intakes, that's associated with higher, you know, a, a lower lifespan or higher cancer rates. That's based on a correlation. So again, there's no study that shows, yes, this group, we increased protein, they had more cancer. No, this is looking at broad-based epidemiological data that is correlation-based. So here's where I say, okay, I get to play the correlation game too. If you're going to play it, I get to play it. (laughs) So right now, modern day, let's just say America, United States, our, our, um, our, Length of living, what's the, what's the correct term? Our lifespan expectancy is as high as it's ever been in the history of humankind since we've recorded this. We also have the highest protein intakes in the world. So look, just look from 1960 to 2010. As protein intake is increased in our country, which it has in all developed countries, we also see a direct correlation of life expectancy. So I would say... Well, I'm going to play too. And it looks like high protein intakes have increased the lifespan. That's fair. That's a, that's a valid point. All right, cool. Let's get into my results here. So let's see. On July 8th, I was 198 pounds. And anybody listening, I, I did these measurements with calipers. So it's not going to be as good as like, uh, you know, DEXA scan or anything that you're doing in your lab. But, you know, I'm pretty good with calipers. So I was 198 pounds. I was 8.5% body fat, and that's 181 pounds of fat-free mass. On July 22nd, exactly two weeks later, I was 193 pounds, so five pounds down. And my body fat was 5.1% body fat and 183 pounds of lean tissue. Now, I sent you the pictures as proof. What do you think about those results? Um, I like it. Just remind me. How much muscle mass do you think you lost, gained, or maintained? What was the numbers? From 181 lean when I was at 198 to okay. 183 lean at 193. So it actually had you gaining two pounds. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So that is what we call body recomposition. That's as good as it gets. And I can appreciate there was some variability sure. um, with your measure. And on that note, my lab uses skin folds. Now, we use ultrasound. Yeah. for our research publications, but I back that up with skin folds because exactly this, I want to be able to present this data. And I'll put this on my website at some point mm-hmm. when I have a website, <laughs> just so people can feel good about skin folds. Skin folds are awesome if you have a good technician, nothing mm-hmm. wrong with skin folds. Um, so yeah, I would say in your case, you gain, you, all of the weight you lost came from fat. Now, I would ask you, do you, do, you, do, do you visually trust that data? Do you feel like, wow, I am a lot leaner? I mean, I've, that, that's the thing. So if I was just to look at that and say one of my clients sent me that, I'd say bullshit. 
<laughs> I, I would. I mean, it's just like, wait a minute, dude, you lost five pounds, but two pounds of more fat free mat. Like, how is that possible? But I am so much more dense. And for anybody, when, when this episode comes out, I'll put the before and after on my Instagram. So look at Joey Thurman Fit. You'll see the before and after, but the striations as well. I just looked much, much, much more dense and harder. Yeah, I, I shaved my chest and I have got a better tan. So that also obviously helps. But yeah, I mean, I, I just do feel better and I feel like I look, and this is often the case when I was competing, when I was losing weight, people thought, I, like, did you, did you gain weight? You look bigger. No, because you actually start seeing that muscle tissue. And same thing, like when, you know, you, you take a white guy versus a black guy on stage, unless the white guy is spray painted, like dark orange or whatever color that it comes out to be, the black guy's going to look better just because you can see the striations and the muscle tissue so much better. So the tan sure is going to help. But you know, shaving the chest helps. But I just I could tell just in the like the thickness of my muscle tissue, I just feel much harder, and I do look like. And if I was, I didn't do any like I didn't do any camera tricks. I didn't do push ups or anything before. So a lot of people like if you see a before and after picture, they do push ups or they do some like band yeah. curls and they'll kind of get that or they'll eat some sugar and get that real vascular. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel better. I feel harder to answer your question. But I was, yes, quite shocked with the results. But the, usually the thing that doesn't lie to me is the, the superiliac and the abdomen measurement for me. And that went down a few millimeters on, on the calipers. And that's the thing that I could tell them because that's generally the part where like the, the abdomen where I feel a little more thickness and you can actually like feel the fat tissue. Mm-hmm. That was definitely much thinner. So what, what, let's, let's trust the data. Let's uh-huh. trust the objective data of the calipers and your impression. So let's not question it. What you've done is you've found a system where you can be very aggressive. And if you were to continue dieting, you would probably drop more fat. The normal person who just cuts all their calories, doesn't train, doesn't have high protein. They also lost whatever amount of weight you lost, but a lot more of it was coming from muscle mass and they could continue to diet and likely not lose much more body weight. So this is good. This is, um, we would call you an N size of one in our research uh, studies. Um, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, we're doing this now. Uh, we had to stop halfway through because of the, the COVID. Uh-huh. Um, your results would, I believe, be atypical as to what we're seeing. Um, so you would be a little bit more of an outlier losing, let's say, seven pounds of fat in two weeks mm-hmm. and gaining a little bit of muscle mass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew I was getting leaner. I just had no, no idea how much. And I, I, I didn't do the measurements. I, I was like, I'm not checking the calipers. I'm just going to do it like two weeks ended. And that's what I did. Yeah, and where you're going to make a lot of people angry is when you say you weren't even hungry. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to take me out. Well, I, admittedly, I had gotten a shipment of grass-fed, grass-finished, uh, organic, just meats, like two or three days beforehand. So it was just perfect. These huge steaks and everything. I was like, okay, cool. I, I can make this work. Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. But I look at people. I was still eating 2,000 calories. So I was still eating what? the average individual probably should be eating in a day if you're looking at, you know, dietary guidelines. So it, it was still a lot. And then as part of that, you know, I was only eating, you know, I was a little bit of a fasted state. So when I was eating, they were bigger meals on purpose. So I'd be full. So I was taking everything that I knew 
and kind of having like a eight hour, sometimes 10 hour feeding window, depending on. And if I worked out, then I would try to eat pretty much within an hour or so of doing that since I was at, in that facet state. So it's taking all of these things that I know and trying to implement them, making sure I get proper sleep and rest and recovery and blah, 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 all the way down the line. So yeah, these are probably atypical results because I'm an atypical individual and most individuals, they might just cut their calories in half and not get as much sleep or still drink or whatever. I didn't have a sip of alcohol. I didn't do any of that whatsoever. So uh, it, it was an interesting experiment. So thanks for a little bit more abs. I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for running this as an experiment. I, I appreciate it. You would be a great subject in our study if you lived in Tampa. Well, I mean, beforehand last year, I would have flown out. I would, would have done some stuff, but you know, we'll see. Maybe follow up episode a year from now. Yeah. All of our crazy 2020, hopefully. Yeah, we can, we can put you through all kinds of tests in my lab. We can test your metabolic rate, your muscle thickness, body Ooh. fat, all that. I like that. I'll, I'll be the guinea pig. All right, so let's talk about some uh, other things I'm sure people are questioning. Male versus female. Do you notice anything different? Because I, I mean, I, I get this question all the time as far as like uh, muscle tissue or adding the amount of muscle or different strategy, strategies that they should do for dieting. Or is this kind of all... Because a, a lot of research has been done on men and haven't really, I mean, you look at a lot of these studies, it's a lot, it's a lot of guys and especially people that aren't trained. So that's why you are so interesting because you are looking at trained individuals. Most people, even when you look at like uh, exercise studies, it's like, oh, they, they gained whatever muscle tissue, but it was an untrained individual. So it's kind of hard to figure out like what a trained person would experience. Yeah. So, and, and you might not know this, but my lab, we spent, we do more female resistance training research in, in terms of weight loss than, than I think any lab in the world. Like, really? I, yeah, we just finished our third female only resistance training study. It was a diet break study. I don't, we, we were analyzing the results now, so yeah. I don't have them to share. So I actually do, again, I, unless I'm wrong, there's not many people, if any, that do more female weight loss research uh, that again, that's non-obese. So females yeah. are already fit, trying to trying to get fitter or or lose more body fat. Um, so just some things that I've noticed. Generally, they're the same. I I wouldn't I don't treat a female any differently than a male in terms of caloric deficits. Now, as you become elite, some of that might start to change. Maybe you start to work things around the menstrual cycle a little bit more. Mm. But in terms of your average active female there's no data to suggest that you have to train them differently or give them special nutrients to lose fat um, other things that i've noticed females as they get leaner and leaner they do a better job of maintaining muscle mass as compared to men men tend to lose more muscle as they diet now that could be two reasons that i that i've thought of men have more muscle that they can lose right. and then the other thing is men's testosterone levels as they get to very lean levels, that starts to plummet. And maybe that's a reason that they start to lose muscle mass. Whereas females, they already have low testosterone to start with. Mm. And then the other thing is, if you're looking at going to an elite level of low body fat, females have to work a lot harder at that point because again, they're, they're, they're naturally carrying more essential body fat. So it's it's hard, much harder to get a female under 10% body fat than it is a male, and then to maintain it. So those would be the, the differences that I've seen in terms of dieting. 
Hmm, interesting. Don't they start stop menstruating if they get too low of body fat? Is, oh, yeah. That like, yeah. like below right. like 10% when they're single digits? Because I had a client years ago that she thought she was pregnant, but she was sick and she was already very lean. I mean, six pack and everything. And she was sick for like a week or two and lost five or six pounds. And she's like, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. Like, you might not be pregnant. You lost a bunch of weight. Go, go check. And she, she came back. She's like, oh my God, I, I'm not pregnant. Yeah. And let's just say the individual that she was with, she definitely wanted to have a baby with. Uh, but uh, she, she's like, I can't, well, you knew that. I'm like, well, I just, you were lean anyways. I figured maybe you weren't. Uh, so it's, it's quite interesting that a lot, of, a lot of women think that they want to get down to single digits, but like they, they have that fat for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not uncommon in the physique sports for females. Yeah. But we're getting, and again, when I say we, let's, let me give credit to the coaches. They're getting better and better. Mm -hmm. at, and again, I mean good coaches. Co yeah. Coaches who care about their clients who don't have 200 clients every month. They're getting better and better at being able to maintain the menstrual cycle as these girls are getting leaner and leaner. And I, again, I'm happy to learn from them. Yeah, that, that's impressive that they're able to take that into account too. Uh, that's really good. Uh, you, you study some supplementation as well. Now, I don't want to keep you too long, but is there anything that you feel like people should be taking as far as supplementation when they're looking for body composition? Yeah, um, and I think you'll have to appreciate, since I'm a scientist, I'm a cynic, so I my gut response to everything is that doesn't work. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my wife says, I love you. I'm like, no, you don't. So how I'm could a, you love this face? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, do appreciate I was created with a cynical mindset where I'm not going to recommend anything. Okay. Um, but with, so appreciating where, where I'm, and again, the world needs people like me because you, you have enough other people who, act like everything's magical and everything's great. Yeah. Um, I, the, the best dietary supplements for physique enhancement are, I, I would suggest protein, but that doesn't have to be a supplement. Mm -hmm. um, it is for me because I'm not going to eat as much steak as you do. <laughs> um, I, and, I got mine free. So what, what do you Hey, get? well, if I got it for free, uh, <laughs> but creatine monohydrate is a, yeah. should just be a staple. There, there is, there's just no, again, in the literature, Mm -hmm. no side effects to creatine. It helps with stroke rehabilitation. It helps with exercise performance. It helps with muscle mass. Um, they're using it in coming back from concussion. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of health benefits that I don't even study that, that has a lot of clinical applications. And then another one that I think is good is fish oil. So a high EPA DHA supplement. So those are the three things that I personally take on a daily basis there are other ones that may have some benefit. Uh, caffeine, potentially for fat loss or suppressing appetite. I don't, I mean, I take, I drink a Diet Dr. Pepper and I get a little bit of caffeine in there, but I don't, I don't do pre-workouts or any of that. So caffeine would be another one. Um, citrulline malate is a common pre-workout ingredient. Uh, six to eight grams of that has been shown to increase exercise performance. Um, but yeah, my list is small. Creatine, protein, fish oil. That's a digestible list. Uh, I've got two more questions for you. Yeah. Where, where have you gotten things wrong? Have you, have you done anything where you're like, okay, you know, you, you believed in this? And I asked this question to Alan Aragon last year. 
and his whole thing was like the dextrose and he used to like slam gummy bears after a workout and stuff he's like yeah i was completely wrong on that like has there been anything where you're just like okay i got i got that wrong yeah um one area now if we brought my wife in you could have another <laughs> with her but i don't i don't have enough time for that good yeah and i don't nobody does um one area is meal frequency. So mm. eating, let's say six, seven, eight times per day. Um, the, the literature would say every study that's been done in humans where they actually investigate is eating six times better than three or is eight better than four, three better than one. When the studies have been designed for body composition, there's never a benefit. It's not worse but there is no benefit to eating six times versus three, according to the research in humans. Now, I would say when I've, when I've done my own research in that area, and again, I'm gonna recall my, my approach to helping people um, optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. Part of that is dealing with hunger, and the research is about split. Some people, if they eat six times per day, they feel full, other people, myself would be here, if I eat six times per day, I'm hungry all day. Mm. I love huge meals. I love yeah, being yeah. stuffed. Other people can't handle that. So what I like about that research is we got to find, or you got to find, where are you? Do, you? do you need to eat breakfast every day when you wake up? Well, if that's how your natural hunger drive is, do that. There's no research to suggest that you shouldn't do that. Um, so that I was wrong. I used to be a six time per day meal frequency person. And man, that was a chore. That's a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> that's, that's a lot, especially if you've got a full-time job and you know having to eat every three hours. Just the meal frequency and prepping is, it's, it's yeah. daunting. It, it's, it's quite daunting. So for me, that's why I, 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 same with you, I like eating a massive meal. Be like, oh my God, you eat so much. Like, yeah, I'm only eating two or three times a day. So yes, this meal might be 1,500, 2,000 calories, but it's only happening twice a day. I mean, yeah, and I'll follow up. Like I, for many years, I believed breakfast. Breakfast is the most important. You have to eat breakfast. Well, I'm not hungry at breakfast. So yet I would eat, you know, five, 600 calories because you're supposed to eat breakfast. And then I realized once I got into this literature, I'm like, I can't find one study that suggests that eating breakfast is optimal for body composition. Now, if you look at the National Weight Loss Registry, we do have some data in people that were formerly obese that are now, that have maintained their weight loss for I think it's at least a year. A large number of those people do eat breakfast. But that doesn't mean that breakfast is, is, was what caused it. It just means maybe that they're more disciplined, they're more regimented. Sure, uh, sure. But other than that data, I couldn't find any scientific evidence to suggest that you have to eat breakfast. But again, I'm happy to do that because I'm not hungry. I'm going to save my food to when I'm hungrier, which is the rest of the day. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Last question for you. Where do you feel like the future of your industry is headed and what are you excited about? I, th I, um, I think this diet break Diet refeed area is very growing. I see my lab doing more work in that area. So, um, and then just in general, and I, I'm going to ask you the same question since mm -hmm. you're a fitness professional, I want to ask you the same thing about fitness. I think just more individualization of exercise and nutrition instead of just blanket diets is, yeah. is 
little bit more like studio based training instead of these warehouse gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's where I see. So what do you think? What, where do you think? The- I'll, I'll give you two answers. I'll give you one, uh, 2019 answer and one 2020 answer. So I would have said pre, uh, 2020 with COVID and everything, I would have said that, yeah, maybe it would be more towards going to these bigger facilities where you have more of like adaptive resistance. We have ARX technology and things like that. And all these different ways to almost like biohack your body. I think that that is kind of where fitness was heading and I was getting ready to do a whole fitness concept where it'd be 10,000 square feet and you bring in all these things. And now I think there's a place for all that technology, but in a much smaller setting, because I think people are going to want to go to more of a boutique setting or where there's only a a few people uh, in there and it's more optimizing for the individual, like exactly. And whether that's working out in your home and not just like jumping on a bike and dancing on a bike, but actually like, okay, here's, here's what's good for you and saying like, okay, here's when you should be doing your cardio or all these different tracking devices. I don't think we need to track everything. I think it's a good tool to know like, here's how I feel like when I'm at anaerobic threshold. Okay, but I don't need to wear my watch to do that. Did I walk 10,000 steps today? Do I need to wear my watch or do I know like what about that feels like? So I think that the individual human optimization and customization, just diet, fitness, I think that's going to be huge, whether that's in a small studio space or being able to people order equipment and bring it to their house or garage or whatever they're doing. But I do think a little bit, it's kind of sad. I think there's going to be a big death of these massive fitness facilities because I like feeding off of that energy. I, if, when I had a compilation of weights and everything in my house, when I lived in the suburbs, I would barely go there. I would pay the 20 bucks a month to some crappy gym down the road because I just liked the energy of people working out around me. So hopefully we can get back to that where everybody feels more safe. Um, but yeah, there's, there's gotta be, and this is where it needs to head anyway. There has to be more of an individualization and everything can't just be this boxed workout because everybody is different. I'm 6'3", I'm built like an albino gorilla. I've got long arms. So a bicep curl for me is gonna feel different than somebody who's 5'6", you know, and, and playing with the angles and biomechanics and same thing with nutrition. And then you just need to go overall, you know, sleep and rest and recovery. I think that's huge. And rest and recovery, I think will be really, really big money too. And people are figuring out, okay, how can we optimize like how fast we're recovering and what we're doing at home. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, you turn you turn the tables on me. It's, it's, it's your podcast. Yeah, I'm the researcher. You're the actual. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Russell Bill Campbell. So people can find you on Instagram at Bill Campbell PhD. Now you've got a lot of great things on there, a lot like true and false and mul- uh, multiple choice, a, a lot of information. So uh, make sure people check you out on Instagram. Anywhere else they can uh, reach out to. No, I'm simple. Just Instagram. I'm just, there every, every day. So that's where I put my heart and soul. And, and you do quite a good job at it. It's a nice job. All right, guys. That was another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. I'm Joey Thurmond with Professor Bill Campbell. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Cheers. bet you weren't expecting those results from me on that rapid fat loss diet now were you that was crazy thank you professor bill campbell for coming on i'm going to use a lot of those tips and things that we talked about even on my clients 
next week on the Fatter Future podcast. You don't want to miss this. What are the three meats you should never buy in a grocery store? And to this day, since having Anya Fernal on, the co-founder of Belcampo Foods, I can't even cook without getting a little bit nauseous. She talks about regenerative farming practices. What is that? She was actually a vegetarian. Now, she has a farm for a living, grass-fed, grass-finished. Is organic actually organic? We talk about that and more on the next episode of the Fad or Future podcast. <laughs>